Gimme Shelter is supported by the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. I got to take a picture for the gram here. No, um, you don't. So no, you don't. Smile. Please don't. Yeah. All right. Screen grab. Done. Too, too bad. Did it? Did it's you done. get it before? Oh, yeah. And your face says, please don't take this picture, basically, <laughs> is what your face says. Welcome, everyone, to Gimme Shelter, the California housing crisis podcast. I'm Manuela Tobias, housing reporter for Cal Matters. And I'm Liam Dillon, and I write about housing affordability for the Los Angeles Times. And I am Gavin Newsom, governor of California, <laughs> finally making an appearance on the podcast. That's not true. Tell everybody who you oh, are. Oh, I've been doxxed. This is Matt Levin, formerly with Cal Matters, former co-host of this podcast, now a reporter with Marketplace, making my uh, triumphant return here. Wow, you're back from the dead. I am. I've been resurrected. So today, it's December 15th, 2021. We have indeed brought back this ghost from Gimme Shelter Past for a very special holiday and year-end episode. And that's because Matt, former illustrious co-host who has left us for vast adventure and fortune in public radio, has had a big housing life change recently. Matt, what's your big housing life change? I cracked the cartel, homie. I bought a house. <laughs> I bought a house. I'm wow. in. I'm in. Matt Levin is a homeowner. I am. As a homeowner, I now start every sentence with as a homeowner. It's something <laughs> you both really wouldn't understand. Once you own property, mm -hmm. it's been pretty life-changing. So we brought Matt back for a variety of reasons, but I think principally we're interested in having him share his tale about why and how he became a homeowner so that any of you out there, Gimme Shelter listeners, who may be considering a similar move would understand what it's like right now. And we also want to hear about how much cryptocurrency you had to invest in to afford this down payment. I wish. I wish I could invest in crypto. Now, ethically, it's problematic for me to invest in crypto because oh, right. yeah. I cover it. That? So yeah, uh, yeah. watch everybody else get insanely rich. So can't wait to talk to Matt about how he is now a homeowner. But we have to start with something else on Gimme Shelter, as Matt knows very well. And since we're at the end of 2021, it is also a very special version of what is the most popular segment in all of California housing podcastry. And Matt, we're going to let you do the honors. What is that segment? It is the avocado of the year. Yes. And I know sometimes you've called this the golden avocado, if I recall correctly. Our look at the wildest, most insane, zaniest even story about California housing Typically, these avocados ripen every fortnight along with our new episodes. But for this occasion, we're picking the best avocados of the year. So we have four nominees this year for our golden avocado. I'll start with one that's very near and dear to my heart, my old stomping grounds. This is our more recent avocado of the fortnight, and it takes place in the wealthy gated community of Nordelta in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Caipiberas, or carpinchos, as they're known there, are rodents that can get as big as 140 pounds. They've been taking over people's backyards and can get very aggressive. One has even bitten a dog named Lucho. 
Allegedly did. Yeah, allegedly. There hasn't been a full investigation yet. (laughs) No, no. And then you've got another camp saying that it's developers that are taking over the Carpinchos natural habitat. What did you think about this one, Matt? This wouldn't be my personal choice for avocado of the year. Also, if the Spanish name... They don't roll off my tongue like they roll off like your tongue and Liam's tongue. You're you're both, you know, good Spanish speakers. So I think I'm out on this one for avocado of the year. If the capybara were in like Mill Valley in Marin County taking over some subdivision there, presumably this would fall to the top of the list. I would say so. It's a geography discrimination here. I feel like I walked into a trap. (laughs) (laughs) You know, as a homeowner, sometimes you encounter (laughs) wild animals. On our second or third day in our home, a, like, flock, I sent you guys a video, a gang, I don't know what you call it, a school of wild turkeys, a strand of wild turkeys came through our front yard, started eating our neighbor's grapes. So I can relate to the homeowners in Argentina. Would you be pro or anti, I guess is the real question. Pro extermination or pro pro what? One of the ideas floated is to fix them. <laughs> kind of like you do with dogs so they don't reproduce. So I'm either for, for sterilization <laughs> of the capinchos. I'll go against. I don't need anything to be sterilized. A rollicking start here, I see. Matt, before we go too much further, why don't you just give a brief summary of where you're living? Give us a little bit, a taste of the details we're going to get later on. So I live in Tahoe Park, which is in the city of Sacramento, in a single-family home in a single-family neighborhood. We're fairly close to the actual park namesake. For people who don't know Sacramento, it's about 10 minutes from downtown. Not suburban, but not downtown, not midtown. That's how I would characterize it. Have either of you guys spent time in Tahoe Park? They're the brunch restaurant, I think it's in Tahoe Park. Of course you did. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Just like with uh, Liam's wedding, I'm still waiting for an invite. <laughs> so <laughs> just let me know when you want me to come over and I'll be happy to. <laughs> well, in my defense, I just moved there. <laughs> but that's where I live. And yes, Manuela, you're welcome to come by anytime. And Liam, if you want, you can host your wedding in our backyard. That would be much more convenient <laughs> for me. it's not big enough to accommodate more than i'd say seven or eight people but i um, see okay but that's a whole mariachi band so yeah just should be should be all set me you your fiance the mariachi band manuela we're set we're good and the turkeys and the turkeys i'm gonna try to get things back on track here i'm gonna take the next avocado of the year nominee and this Avocado of the Year nominee is in my stomping grounds of Snails of Santa Monica. Matt and Manuela, what if I told you that here in Santa Monica, we number our parking structures? I mean, I believe it. I've been to Santa Monica. I know what you're talking about. I have not. Why is that weird? Yeah. Do you know any other cities that have like parking garages that are numbered? Many, like many numbered parking garages? I guess not. I- yeah. No. All right. Anyway, that that joke fell flat, but I'm going to tell you about my favorite parking structures in Santa Monica. That's how I'll start with this. So initially, I had to say that parking structure six was my favorite, and that's because parking structure six is LEED certified, which, of course, given the climate implication of cars is very funny. But more recently, in terms of my favorites, we have a new contender, and that's parking structure three. 
which is right on the edge of the city's famed Third Street Promenade Outdoor Mall. The city has wanted to tear down PS3, which is the nickname that I just gave to it, to build 150 affordable housing units, including 50 of those reserved for formerly homeless residents. But this plan has become very controversial with signs all over town screaming, save parking structure three. LA County Sheriff Alex Villanueva has even waded into the bait, uh, calling the new housing plan, quote, the dumbest idea short of invading Iraq. Now, um, <laughs> wow. also increasingly dated reference, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. I feel like there's been other dumb ideas. Not that I'm taking a position retroactively on the Iraq invasion, but I mean, that's <laughs> that's 18 years ago, right? It's a, while, a long time ago. Yes. So after we mentioned this avocado first time, my inbox was flooded with Santa Monicans who wanted me to know that apparently the city has planned for the eventual destruction of parking structure three by already building a separate parking structure whose number I don't recall right now to replace all of the lost parking spots that would come from its demolition. So still yet to be determined what's going to happen with uh, PS3. Manuela, have you found a favorite parking structure in Sacramento. What do you think of the general Sacramento parking situation? Oh, I get very frustrated trying to park downtown for sure. Actually, I guess my favorite parking structure, the one next to the dentist, I really don't feel strongly about any parking structure. I take that back. Hopefully I can check out PS3 when I visit. <laughs> when I visit. <laughs> Our third avocado of the year nominee is a little bit hard to describe without seeing because it's a anime video. But not only is it an anime video, but it's one that describes the current academic debate over increasing density in cities. And just to give folks a flavor of this, I'm going to play a little bit. Very Mortal Kombat. Pretty good Nintendo vibe. I think it was, you know, these debates are often very nerdy, and this is among the nerdiest things I've ever seen, this video. But actually, it's a pretty good entry point for people who want to understand you know, a bunch of UCLA professors fighting over housing. Highly recommend. How many times have you seen it, Liam? At least three dozen. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So I'll present the last, but certainly not least, avocado we have. Yeah. Dormzilla, in what can only be described as a marriage between a very wealthy man and the California housing crisis. So we've got 97-year-old billionaire investor Charlie Munger, who is very hard to get a hold of, designed an 11-story, 1.68 million square foot structure that would house up to 4,500 students at the University of California, Santa Barbara. And if that weren't enough students, the real kicker, 94% of those students would not have windows in their rooms. The structure would actually qualify as the eighth densest neighborhood on the planet, falling just short of Dhaka, Bangladesh. And Munger is not an architect, but he's so convinced that this plan is correct. He's given $200 million to the university for the project, now budgeted at $1.5 billion, with the promise of a lot more but only if the school follows his blueprint to a T. So far, the plan has generated the resignation of architects from various architectural review boards, 
as well as significant derision. But Munger is soldiering on. He called the critics of his project idiots and said that the building would last as long as the pyramids. Yeah. And you all think of that one. So I listened to you guys discuss this when this was an avocado of the fortnight. Remind me, where did both of you go to school? Georgetown. Georgetown, Georgetown yeah. It's Georgetown. A, it's a school on the East Coast. School on the East Coast, yeah. Public or private? A rather august private institution. If you had to describe it as elite or not yes. elite, well, Manuela was quick to that one. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, like, absolutely elite, yes. Mm-hmm. And how many roommates? Let me see where you're going with this. How many roommates did you have freshman year, each of you? I had two. You had one. two? I had one. one. And describe to me your living situation. And I hear also your food situation. Isn't there some type of lobster dinner that Georgetown no. provides? No. No, no. 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 The no. food you went, was you were, awful. You were trying to build with something, but that was just a bridge too yeah. far. Yeah, no. I, I feel like the there was, was a lobster thing. The food was not good. Food was no. awful. Yeah. I was on a top bunk, and we were three girls sharing two closets. And yeah, it was not great. There was some black mold in there <laughs> that my roommate's mom had to complain about. Oh, all right. This is less luxurious than I pictured. Didn't you listen to the other episode where we talked about how the there was a meth lab. freshman dorm uh, I, and there I was do, a meth lab there? I do remember yeah. the meth lab. Yeah. How big was it for three people? Do you remember? It was small, but I wouldn't know the square footage. And Liam, you were in some type of luxury suite. No, it was the same as we've discussed, same dorm. It was in a two-person rather than three. I had, in fact, the bottom bunk. So I went to UC Berkeley public school here in California as a native Californian. Three dudes, small quarters, two snorers. I was not one of them. Dormzilla? You get your own bedroom in Dormzilla. You get your own bedroom. Sign me up if I had the choice between three dudes and I had the top bunk. I take it you didn't become best friends with them. We went on to live together in a second, but I totally would have sacrificed those friendships for my own bedroom. <laughs> There's no question, it was, it sucked. Dormzilla, it's SROs, man. Sign me yeah. up. I'm Even without saying, the window? No window? No no light? I lived in New York. You know how many places I lived in without a window? I lived <laughs> <laughs> I, it's this whole podcast. I lived in New York in two places without a window, one of which was subterranean. Wow. It was so dingy looking. Law and Order wanted to film the exterior and interior of our apartment because it was that crappy looking. So give me Dormzilla any day of the week. I'm in, Munger. I'm in. First of all, hardly shocked that you have a contrarian take on the dorm, number one. Could have predicted that. Number two, in fact, Munger has said repeatedly that because people will have single rooms, he says people will love it. The students will love it. This is way better than shared living. And he thinks this is one of the biggest selling points of the dorm. 100% with you, Munger. There was one day where I had some type of allergic reaction to something which the dermatologist swore was like me taking some type of like party drug, which I did not do. But I was like shedding skin, like skin was like flaking off of me and I'm in the top bunk, My like we're sleeping. And so my roommate is below me just inhaling the skin that's shedding from me. You know where that, that doesn't happen? Dormzilla, that doesn't happen in Dormzilla. So I'm in. 
That was certainly spicy. So <laughs> I came with the hot take. And this is quite a lush crop of avocados for 2021. Matt, since you are our guest of honor, we're going to let you announce the winner of the golden avocado or avocado of the year. But first, I think we all should all drum roll here. And the winner for avocado of the year 2021 is Dormzilla. Yay. Was it a landslide? Was it close? There was some ballot box stuffing on behalf of anime videos you would expect from people on Twitter. But I think Dormzilla was far and away the favorite and it's taken its rightful prize. I love Dormzilla. So now let's get into the meat of our episode. And before we talk to Matt about how frequently he mows his lawn, we just want to set the table for how crazy the home buying market has been over the past year, which is, of course, is on top of a crazy home buying market in California, pretty much ever since the end of the foreclosure crisis, which, of course, itself was crazy in its own way. So some stats, according to the California Association of Realtors, the median sales price for an existing single-family home in the state was 798440 in October, which is 12% higher than a year prior. And California broke 800000 earlier this year. In Sacramento County, that figure was 510000 16% higher than in 2020. And this, of course, comes after years of very quickly rising home prices in Sacramento, which increasingly has been seen as more affordable alternative to the Bay Area. An even bigger escape once the pandemic hit and work from home became more of a possibility for people. Yes, and of course, we also know that the success of the movie Lady Bird played a role in Sacramento's home pricing. That's why I moved here. So, (laughs) (laughs) So in this economy, Matt, you decided to become a homeowner. So why did you do it? I think what's true of a lot of people tried to buy a house or did buy a house since the pandemic. Me and my fiance in a two-bedroom apartment close to downtown, which we moved into so we could be physically close to the office. Remember the office? All that was rendered moot by the pandemic. We got kind of tired of having to time each other's showers and meetings around other people's Zooms. So I thought initially that the market was going to tank because an unprecedented recession, which I think is what a lot of people thought. And so there was that little glimmer in the back of your mind that's like, oh, God, this is horrible. But hey, maybe there's a silver lining here. Maybe we can actually afford a house. That was wrong. But what did happen is they paused student loan payments, which I think is a very underreported part of this economic recovery that we're experiencing. And pausing the student loan payments helped me save a lot more so we could help afford a down payment. When 2021 came around and the virus was still with us and we were like, how much longer can we stay in this apartment? We started more aggressively looking for a house. So it's pretty common reason why. But how did you, how could you afford it? Like how actually could you afford it? The cold hard answer is we didn't put 20% down. If it was 20% down, it would have been very, very, very difficult. But we're in our late 30s. We have savings. And so we could afford 10% down together and just eat private mortgage insurance. That's how we could afford it. And the actual monthly mortgage payments are shockingly very akin to what we were paying in rent. And that's interest rates are very low. I'm sure it's obviously a big help too. 
That's exactly right. And just to be clear here, no help from parents or cryptocurrency. You know, huh? Cryptocurrency. <laughs> or <laughs> I wish. The only way we could do this was Sacramento. There's just no way we could have done this in the Bay Area or LA. So let that be a enticing lesson to all you Bay Area and LA listeners. Come on over. Sacramento, lovely, lovely, affordable. We got wild turkeys, bucolic. I know that's one of your favorite words, Liam. Great place. Come on here. Buy property. Buy multiple properties. It's fantastic here in Sacramento. We're going to get to this later about why now or how your views on housing have changed in terms of what your personal interests has changed. That comment, clearly a sign of wanting prices to ever rise now, I, I presume. Should we just get this out of the way? You know, like, can we ask you how much you uh, how much you paid for the house? Yeah, sure. It was five twenty five. So it's a single family home. You said, and so rough size bedrooms, bathrooms. You're going to throw an ADU in there. <laughs> Thank you for ADU. It's a three bed, two bath. The third bedroom's kind of an office, that type of thing. It does have a backyard. The turkeys. Yes, the wild turkeys come with it. I mean, it's not the nicest place in the world, but it wasn't in good shape. Like 1950s-ish? Uh... 1960. And had been not flipped, but renovated in the 2010s. A question sort of around the, of that, if you've gotten to a place where you can potentially afford a down payment, how do you weigh the pros and cons of staying a renter versus just buying a house? The pandemic made that an easier calculation because it, it really was like, you need space. And, you know, it became clear that I would not be going back to any format of an office anytime soon. And she would not be going back to an office five days a week. That's not going to happen. So it did kind of clarify our, you know, what we wanted. On the renting versus home buying side, the scary thing is like, now I'm like, well, less, but almost half a million dollars in debt. And for anyone who lived through the Great Recession, it's like, oh, Jesus Christ, like, am I buying at the peakiest peak of the housing market, which could totally, totally be the case. But, you know, <laughs> we got wild turkeys now. Your piece of the American dream, so, <laughs> which is a nice little segue. Tell us about the neighborhood and why you picked this neighborhood. It was a neighborhood we could afford. We couldn't afford the Ladybird house. Right, you know, right, right. And we really wanted to avoid moving all the way out to suburbs and exurbs. This was something that was, you know, still close to the heart of Sacramento and in our price range. So what was the process like, the actual like buying process? I fought for us to wait until fall because spring and summer of 2021 were so insane and the inventory numbers were so, it felt to me artificially low. And then inventory started picking up in the fall. And so that made things a little less competitive, still competitive, but less 10 offers per house and less all cash offers, less waiving contingencies, that type of thing. For our place, it was, I think like five or six offers. And we liked this place, so we were fairly aggressive. Did you go over what the what the asking was? 
Yes, you're a housing reporter. Yeah. Of course we went over. Did you write a letter too? Did you say you would name your future child, name as a realtor and something <laughs> along those lines? I did have to write the letter. I was Ooh. not enthusiastic about it. I thought it was stupid. I thought oh, they really only cared about money. What did the letter say? I stressed uh, the dog that we're going to be uh, taking in uh. the letter because we uh, noticed they had a dog when we were snooping around their house. I was like, all right, I got an in here going to stress the uh, the dog. We'll be hopefully knock on wood getting the dog early next year. So did that feel like you debased yourself in terms of having to do that? Yes. I mean, I thought it was kind of fundamentally silly. I can understand if somebody wants to know whether they're selling to an institutional investor or not, as opposed to a human being. But everything besides that seems kind of unnecessary. So we presume this was not the first house you looked at during your search. What was sort of the craziest story that happened while you were trying to find a place? We went to one place with our real estate agent and we were like, yeah, we kind of like this place. We were walking through it and the real estate agent was just like, this is a hundred grand more expensive than it was six months ago. And we were like, why even tell us that? You know, like <laughs> that just makes us feel bad. So that was depressing. We only bid on a couple other places where we thought we're probably going to get beat. You know, that every place went well over. I mean, there was one place where we did really like the place and we were like, okay, we'll go over by like $5,000 or something. And then like the real estate agent was just like, somebody just put a, a bid in for like 55 over. And we were like, wow. Oh, yeah. Okay. So yeah. again, that was like spring and summer when, Things were really crazy. No one drove up in a Ferrari blasting techno music, came out, you know, walked out their door, kind of threw cash at the realtor and then just kind of walked away. Like none of that sort of happened that didn't while you happen? were at the uh, open house or anything like that. No, although I kept waiting <laughs> to see you drive by with your Tesla, Liam. <laughs> <laughs> you have a Tesla? <laughs> no. Well, just no. the branding. Yeah. I think he's waiting for an endorsement. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> what would you say that you learned? Any lessons you would impart to others? I enjoyed living in dense urban environments. There are definite pe perks to them, but the pandemic has changed a lot of things. It, re it really has. If you are working from home a good amount of time, the premium that you put on space changes. I mean, it just does. It is really nice to not have to tiptoe across the living room interrupting, you know, my fiance's work. We have a little bit of space now, not a ton. I don't know. I feel like a lot of the housing debate still seems in a weird pre-pandemic space, no pun intended, where like things have changed. It's huge. It's a fundamental re-altering of like our relationship to where we live and where we work. Not everybody, obviously, but for a major chunk of the workforce, yes, absolutely. You know, we can't all live in the Santa Monica's of the world where there are other trade-offs and other benefits. You're just baiting me, but that's okay. I am. Yeah, I right, am. Yeah. It's really interesting, too, that sort of whenever you talk about renting versus owning, it's very much about like apartment versus single family house. And at least in other parts, I think that owning, for example, an apartment is a lot more common than perhaps in the Sacramento or California housing market. Owning really 
is synonymous with a single family house. And I think that's, that's pretty unique. Again, if there was no pandemic, I think we might have been more interested in a condo, which would be smaller, but we would be able to live closer to work probably. But it shifted things. Take off the reporter hat and put on the homeowner hat. And like, in what ways are you thinking about the housing crisis or housing issues differently with your homeowner hat on? Like, is Prop 13 much more in your mind than like rent caps, like these things, what you think about now? I know what I'm going to be paying monthly for the next 30 years. <laughs> and, and, exactly. and I, <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that does change things as opposed to being subject to the vagaries of a landlord and their rent increases and perhaps difficult to enforce rent cap laws. I mean, it's a major change. I, you know, it's very recent, so it hasn't really manifested. It's hard for me to articulate how exactly it's manifested because, you know, we moved in last weekend. But I think that does just change your outlook and also the immediacy of this. I mean, like, I do think that renters feel this in a very different way, obviously, than homeowners do. Do you understand the uh, homeowner urge to protect property value at all costs now? <laughs> <laughs> it would be nice if the equity in our house kept on rising that would be great i don't know at the individual level what i can really do besides implore everyone from the greater san francisco region to Come just spend over. a weekend <laughs> taking a look at the neighborhoods around sacramento they're invited to your house too yeah we'll you know have a some type of backyard uh, soiree as liam as liam would call it I'm just too busy to fight anything. If you want to convert a duplex next to me, which doesn't seem like a ton of people really want to do, <laughs> at least just yet, go right ahead. I don't find myself being any more pro-development or anti-development than I used to be, I suppose. So, Is an ADU in your future? Probably not. Probably not. Because I don't want to give an excuse to have, like, elder family member move in with us. So this... <laughs> Keep them far. <laughs> you know, then it's like, ah, you know, we just don't have the space. You know, it's that type of thing. All right. So I think we're out of questions. Is there anything else that you want to impart and any wisdom? As a homeowner? You would like to impart to our listeners? As a homeowner, it's nice. It is. It's nice. I enjoyed certain aspects of living in a smaller space. And then the pandemic happened. And... It is nice having a little bit more space. And so if you can do it, try to do it, especially if you don't have to commute. And I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with saying that, although I'm on Twitter far less than both of you. Let me ask this, Liam and Manuela, do you want to buy a home? I eventually do. My issue is one of location, I think. I can't really think of a place that I want to be for the rest of my life. It's more of a commitment issue, I would say. <laughs> Eventually I do, but I don't know that I've found the right place yet. I think that's kind of next on the life list. First, we got to get the wedding, my fiance and I, and then we're trying to look at doing the home buying thing next, but go on Zillow and you try to look for less than a million and all of a sudden all the houses disappear within like 20 miles of us. Not quite 20, but a lot. That's a thing, man. I mean, it's just like 
we want to live somewhere where there's stuff to do and then not having to take our car to go everywhere, right? We're down to one car. And so that's nice. It's a nice lifestyle. And so it's going to be trying to find that sweet spot. And I, I really don't know, honestly, whether that exists. Would you consider renting? Uh, that would not be our preference. And we'd want to look and see kind of what we could actually do first in terms of buying. But if we can't do it, kind of have to be all sorts of alternatives that we're going to think of. So do you feel like there's a certain inevitability to it with, of course, the price constraint? Right. That's really what kind of limits you. Although I am terrified, like Gen Z is smaller than the millennial generation and God knows how small the next generation after Gen Z is going to be. So I, I await the bitter irony of 15 years from now when a combination of climate change and declining fertility rates means the value of my house is now cut in half. So waiting for it. This is the cynicism we miss in this podcast. So thank you. <laughs> Before we end, um, I wanted to share that Around this time, it was when I heard the two of you announce that Matt was going to be leaving and that someone else would have to take his place. And I remember I was driving in Florida and I thought, like, I feel like it's not likely, but, you know, I really hope that that'll be me, that I'll actually be able to replace Matt. And it actually happened. And now we're all here. That feels like a really nice feeling, sort of tying it all back. Go for what your dreams are. <laughs> it could happen <laughs> just, just like Matt's homeownership. <laughs> See, look well, at that contrast with the cynicism <laughs> of Matt to that beautiful, optimistic take. Within seconds, we flipped, we flipped the whole narrative of the show. So I've been listening, and it's been a refreshing change to the podcast to, uh, to listen to you and Liam as opposed to listen to myself and Liam. So I'm very, very happy that you were the one that took over my co-hosting duties. And look forward to hearing you Thanks, guys Matt. for the near future. And long future. Thank you, Matt. You're Thank welcome. You. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this podcast, Gimme Shelter, please do rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and your other podcast services. This is vital so that new people can discover us and also so that we get some positive feelings for the holidays. Our editor, as always, is Victor Figueroa. Victor, yeah, thank you so Victor. much. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of fans, Victor, in and outside the podcast. I'm Liam Dillon. I work for the LA Times, and you can find me on Twitter at Dylan Liam. And I'm Manuela Tobias from CalMatters, and my Twitter handle is Manuela Tobias M. And I'm Matt Levin with Marketplace. And eh, get off Twitter. It's better. It's better if you're not on Twitter. No offense. And happy holidays. <laughs> <laughs> We hope everyone has a wonderful holiday, a happy new year, and we'll see you in 2022.